Welcome back to Repair Radio. I'm your host, Kyle Weens, and I have with me uh, Taylor uh, from our iFixit engineering team and Kevin from our uh, editorial team. And we are joined today by a special guest, Dieter Bone from The Verge. And we're going to be talking about why the Galaxy Fold is failing and the, just this incredible journey that, that we've all been alongside Samsung and their poor PR reps this week. We're also going to be talking about all the crazy activity that's happening with Right to Repair. We've got uh, legislation act- actively moving in Oregon and Minnesota and California, and there's going to be hearings. There was a hearing this week. There's going to be more hearings next week. We'll talk about my experience in Salem at the hearing this week. And the FTC has launched this huge investigation into barriers to repair. They've got an initial deadline on Tuesday, April 30th, for, for information that the people can share the obstacles that they're seeing to repair. And at the same time, Apple has unveiled a, a new recycling program featuring their recycling robot, Daisy. So it has been a jam-packed week here at iFixit. Taylor, I think your screwdrivers are probably feeling a little tired right now. They most certainly are. So let's dive right into it. Uh, excited to have Dieter from The Verge on with us. Uh, welcome to this week's Repair Radio. I'm your host, Kyle. And I am the Teardown Engineer, Taylor. And we also have remotely, we've got Kevin out in Buffalo, New York. Hello. And your special guest, Dieter Bone from The Verge. Greetings, mobile accomplishers. So super excited to uh, be talking. This has just been such a jam-packed week in the tech world. I am blown away by... I I have never seen the product launch go this way. This seems like the most (laughs) roller coaster of a product launch. I mean, Dieter, can you recall anything? I mean, what's been like a a catastrophic demo failure like the Galaxy Fold has been? Man, I am trying to think uh, what has actually been yanked in the like review stage of a thing. And I I am coming up super blank. We've had products like announced and pulled. So I'm a Palm guy. So I I still remember the Palm Folio where they thought they were going to create a little laptop companion for your trio phone um and then they finally realized that they they shouldn't do that and so they, they pulled that product uh but you know a device like just just straight up being broken for reviewers and subsequently delayed is like not a thing that we ever see well it's interesting because we talk about repairability a lot and and you know the durability and we get people thinking about and you know what happens if inevitably something breaks but that doesn't normally enter enter the discussion of mainstream product reviews you're reviewing a thing it always works and you're just reviewing mm-hmm. the capabilities mm-hmm. you're not generally able to talk about the durability of something because you've got it for such a short window yeah and you know it's it's very early and often with these things like you know we're if they're they're always something that we get from the company we borrow and then we have to send back so like just from an ethical perspective we want to break it and sometimes like from a legal perspective we you know in order to get the review you know you sign a thing saying i'm not going to intentionally you know break this thing i'm not going to chuck it against the wall or do a drop test or um you know whatever my plan is from now on though to insert a clause into all of those uh, contracts for review units to give myself permission to put every single device in a bag of Doritos and shake <laughs> um, or Doritos onto the, the keyboard right. and, and see right. if it Makes still sense works. to me. Um, so for, for the, those uh, listeners who have not been following the, the entire drama, Dieter, can you give us kind of like the, the abbreviated version of what, what happened when you got the review unit from Samsung? Sure. So the, um, the unit was fine and I was, you know, going through my review, everything was very normal. Um, and uh, I had been planning on saying things like, although the screen seems like it could be delicate and picks up dings, the hinge mechanism itself feels very sturdy and on and on and on. And then, um, so I received the unit Monday. I believe it was Tuesday night. Uh, I noticed this weird bulge on the bottom of the screen right in the crease. Uh, I was like, well, this seems bad. I felt it a little bit. It felt like it was something hard, like a piece of sand underneath there. Um, call up Samsung, say, this seems bad. Uh, they're like, well, we're going to come and replace it tomorrow. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, get into the office early, take some photos, get some video of it. Um, and then just like, wait for Samsung to comment, wait for Samsung to come in and replace the unit. And, uh, while I was waiting, thinking I was the only one with a problem, uh, I see some tweets from, let's see, Steve Kovac from CNBC, Mark Gurman from Bloomberg, uh, Marquez Brownlee, um, I'm forgetting somebody else here. Uh, I'll just start tweeting like my screen's broken too. So I'm like, oh, okay, fine. This is a problem. 
hit publish, and then um, over the course I'm of the next couple of days, here. it becomes clear that there's two big problems. Problem number one, uh, there's this thing that looks like a screen protector that isn't that you shouldn't pull off because it destroys it. And then problem number two, the much more mysterious, like, bulge gate, bulge problem, um, which I experienced, a reporter for a German magazine experienced, and then finally um, Michael Fisher, Mr. Mobile on uh, YouTube, just posted, I think, a day or two ago that he was experiencing it as well. And and this is, this is crazy. Swift by the way. Swift, I'm sorry. And, it's okay. I, I did that too. <laughs> it, it, so I'm curious, as, you're, as you were using it, did you notice that there was a gap kind of along the hinge underneath the screen where things could have gotten in? Yeah, I mean, I definitely saw it. You, you look at the thing and you can just see the gap. Um, now there's, I think there's basically two types of gaps that are worth us talking about. The one on the front is the one that I noticed. Like there's, um, there's that, you know, plastic rail that holds the screen down right. and then the rail doesn't go across the hinge. So you can kind of see a gap there. That's yeah. what I was worried about. And and if you haven't seen our teardown, uh, pull up the teardown on iFixit and you'll see, and I've, I've got on the, on the video here, a photo of us putting a guitar pick right in underneath that, that fold where, where it would be very easy for material to get underneath it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I assumed that's where mine had gotten in or it seemed likely, although it was weird because the, the bulge that I got was, I don't know, a half an inch or so north of where that gap was. So it would have had to like silently worked its way in. Um, the other gap is, of course, the gap on the back on the spine, uh, which I thought was like, eh, it's fine. Uh, but when your teardown, you guys really educated me. They're like, actually, no, if you look at that gap, that is massive, especially in the context of a smartphone. You can also jam a guitar pick into that. <laughs> we just so that's our metric for everything on this. It's like how many guitar picks can you fit into your phone? And the answer should be zero. <laughs> you should be able to fit zero guitar picks into the innards of your phone. However, with this device, yeah. not the case. Well, so Taylor, you did the the teardown itself, and, the, and I've got it up here, and we're going through. Give, give me kind of your initial impressions of this thing. <clears throat> well, initially. We were actually, as we started doing the teardown, we were a little impressed because it started coming apart more easily than some of the older Samsung phones, like the S10s that we just took apart. Right, the screen just came, you know, a yeah, little bit like, of heat, and the, the outside screen came right off. Yeah, normally it takes an aggressive amount of heat, and this time it just kind of took a little spritz from the heat gun, and then it came right off. So that was impressive, but then as we started getting further and further into the, into the device, we just were overwhelmed at how many like fragile pieces there were and you can tell that Samsung did a lot of work to make certain parts of this phone robust but I just think that they underestimated the fragility of the screen to be honest well although I mean the the entire hinge design everything like the, it seems like everything about the mechanical structure of the phone is designed to protect the OLED exactly yeah well I mean designed to protect the OLED I think might be a little bit of a stretch, but designed to last, I think, is maybe a fair thing to say. Like, if you look at the hinge, it is actually incredibly robust looking. And I think my favorite part about the hinge is there are three main parts to the hinge, and the center part of the hinge is where the, uh, like, the gear mechanism is right this is fascinating yeah so the but the upper and lower parts of the hinge are floating so if you watch the video on our teardown you can see that in the video the top part of the, the like the upper hinge kind of floats and that allows for horizontal like or not horizontal but torsion flex so if the device is to occur any twisting then it will be able to the hinge will be able to take that so that just makes me think they were really designing to make this thing durable and the screen is just the weak part you know yeah almost greek mythically the by folding the phone using their wonderful hinge uh you are in some ways what some have speculated is that you are essentially then pushing the particles that got in through the hinge up into the OLED yeah. screen, like yeah. you are almost you're. It is you know it is its flaw and its greatest uh, success that the hinge is so cool, but it also is so uh, reliable at pushing debris into the OLED screen, yeah. which then fails in a way that most OLED screens do, as according to our engineers, which is like 
catastrophically. It doesn't just die a little bit. It doesn't kill a pixel. It doesn't just uh, leave an area of your screen, you know, looking worse. It generally the whole thing goes down because you know OLED screens are sensitive to everything. To cut it short, yeah, yeah. And so this was the thing that I, I have such a hard time actually just writing about it and, and describing the hinge because it is so like I want to use the word robust. Like if there's any twist when you open it, it accounts for that. It makes sure both sides are always you know opening evenly uh, relative to each other. Um, but what I don't understand is if you look at the inside of the hinge, it seems like like they should have just covered over where some of those gears appear so that they wouldn't be able to push grit into the screen. Yeah. Like, why, why don't they just put like, I don't know, a piece of film the gasket over that sure. or something, or why, why isn't there a piece of film over the gap on the front of the phone? It's like fundamentally like they, they did such a good job, like accounting for like mechanical failure. Yeah. They never, it never thought they never thought to deal with you know, the failure of things that exist in the world, like sand and grit and potentially clay you know, may have been molding clay on our device although i still don't think so it, it, yeah. do, you, do you think this is just classic like it was designed in a lab in the clean room and they just forgot about the real world honestly that's my inclination like the, there are just too many indicators that they did put a lot of thought into it for me to say like they're just dumb i think that they were just not planning for the right use cases or planning in a lab or just maybe rush the very end of it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it, the, the the addition of the screen protector uh, feels like maybe that was a last minute decision. Yeah, and like we, we say, we call it screen protector. Well, what we mean is the top layer that most of, oh, well, not most, some of the reviewers peeled off. Notably, Dieter did not pull his <laughs> off. Let's just put that in there. Well, I did ask, though, because it, it looks like you want to peel it off, and it... It collects, you know, like when you, whenever you've got like a screen protector right. sort of around the dust, yeah. But then the screen protector lines up with that plastic uh, rail that holds the screen down, and it just, it just collects dust like nobody's business. Right. And so you are, like, just like, you feel like you want to get rid of that thing or clean it. <laughs> well, up. Well, and, and we're just completely befuddled because it would have been really easy for it to be a little bit bigger and go yeah. underneath the the bezel, and that's just part of the screen. Uh, and the bezels are relatively easy to remove. That was neat. another really interesting thing was the bezels came off incredibly easy, like almost as easy. Um, the the top layer of the screen does not come off easily per se. It's pretty strongly adhered. But I would say the bezels maybe came off easier than that top layer of the screen did. So so why did they why, – why is the screen protector you know, or you know the, the top layer – yeah, not extend all the way to the edge. And the only explanation I can come up with is it was a late minute, late edition. Yeah, a last minute edition. I mean, another theory that I had was maybe Samsung knew that the screen would be, I mean, it's plastic instead of glass, so it's going to pick up dings and nicks as The Verge's review showed. Um, so maybe they intended to be able to replace that top layer at some point, you know, like if you spend $2,000 on your phone and you don't want to replace the whole display oh, Samsung can d just replace the top layer for 50 bucks, whatever. But, I mean, what do you think the actual mechanics of replacing that top layer would be? Like, you, they, they would have to have, like, a, a really special um, squeegee with the, the stuff to dissolve the <laughs> adhesive to get the thing off. Otherwise, it, like, that screen is so delicate underneath mm -hmm. that protective layer that I would think any any kind of force on it is a huge risk. Yes. What, what I think what gives me hope about that idea is I can't remember who it was, but somebody who peeled off the screen protector in their review um, or with their review unit, their screen survived for like a day or two. And so maybe it was something else that killed it and not yeah, removing so, the screen well, protector? No, I, I still do think that what kills the display when you take off the protector is the pressure that you're applying to the display. But To wedge your finger yeah, in between yeah. the protector and the screen. But just the fact that that one person was able to do it without breaking the screen immediately makes me think that Samsung must have a way to do it, you know, with heat or some kind of uh, chemical solution. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but it's hard to, it's hard to envision yeah. what it is and the training. So what, what, um, go ahead. I was going to say, maybe this is what we were to ask, but like all, all these things that point at kind of a rush delivery or a, you know, not quite thought out, um, lifetime for this device like why is it so important that this fold got out the door and two reviewers like why, why would a company prioritize getting a device like this into the hands of reviewers into the public uh you know versus the more normalized approach of 
thinking it through and testing it more. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I have some ideas, some theories. Um, number one, and I think this might have been the biggest pressure, is Huawei has one of these folding phones in the works uh, and that, that folds the other way. Mm. And there's many fascinating things about that. But the amount of like corporate pressure on Samsung coming from Huawei's direction is as big or greater than whatever pressure they feel from Apple uh, because Samsung has done not very well in China and Huawei is making really strong pushes um, across Europe and, and, you know, other uh, like APAC and and everywhere else. And so they're eating into Samsung's bottom line. So getting this thing out the door uh, lets Samsung plant like an innovation flag that says, we look, look at this thing. We made this thing. We're selling this thing and we're, we're amazing. Um, The, and that's fine, I guess, that they needed to get it out first. The, the thing that I don't understand is the positioning of it. If they had called this thing a developer beta right. or, a, mm-hmm. you know, extremely limited edition, you know, super fancy, you know, Ferrari edition, you know, go go partner with like literally pick pick any luxury brand you can think of and say this is this is the Hermes uh, and we'll have a mass market one later, but this one is only for certain people. And they could have kept the price exactly the same mm-hmm. um, or even cranked it up a little bit. And I think that a lot of people would have a, a really different attitude towards a, you know, very special fancy limited edition thing that's fragile versus something that was meant to just be a mass market thing. I totally agree. And that I, I think everybody Samsung all the way through <laughs> would agree that in retrospect, <laughs> that's how it should have been framed. <laughs> It's it's just such a fascinating thing. I'm I'm curious because you know this the fragility of this thing all of a sudden brings the discussion around repairability a bit to the forefront. Because even if if they do perfect these issues, uh, these initial issues, clearly it's going to be dramatically less durable than past phones are. What what do you think the role is as a gadget reviewer of thinking about the, the life cycle of these things as you're making recommendations? Well, I think for this device in particular, uh, this form factor. Uh, you already got a weird, thick, awkward, bulky phone, right? Like when you fold this thing half, it's doofy. It's got like the gap in the middle of the hinge. It's it's real, you know. It's like it's a big thing, and it feels weird. Um, and so, if you're not trying to fight on the level of I'm making the thinnest, sleekest, sexiest, you know, fully enclosed, you know, slab of a smartphone, if you're not having that fight like they do with the Galaxy S10, right. um, then if you make it a little bit more repairable and that, you know, you end up having to make a trade-off that there's like a little bit of extra added bulk or, you know, whatever that trade-off is that people traditionally cite as a reason that they don't make something more repairable. I think that kind of goes away because you've already got like a brand new form factor that's awkward to begin with. So, you know, make it a little bit thicker, make that rail, you know, a little bit, you know, it's already easy to take off, but like make, make that rail come off easily and then make the screen come off of that from that end really easily so you don't have to dig through the back of the phone to do anything yeah. like that seems like a totally reasonable thing to do it's it's fascinating to see as we as we shift toward i mean it seems clear oled is the technology that is going to win the future uh and yet it is dramatically more fragile than leds were or are uh and I'm, and as i'm learning this week Samsung itself is the major supplier of OLEDs around the world. And so this company does not have a ton of incentive to provide uh, low cost uh, replacement OLEDs to anybody, th- their own customers included. Yeah, one thing I, I'm not sure if you, you're aware of, but the, the repair market is having a real hard time with OLEDs because uh, the, the parts just aren't out there. There aren't aftermarket factories making these things like they are with LEDs. And so, and they're much they're much harder to um, refurbish because, as say, you know, as we said previously, they're generally dead when they're dead mm-hmm. they're, it's harder to uh, get usable parts out of them than there were for lcd displays for instance so overwhelmingly you all guys the... think that that's a, an issue of them being really tricky to manufacture and just too new or is it like uh, is there some monopoly problem or is it fundamental to the idea of oled that uh there's just there there's never going to be a lot of factories that make it because it costs too much to make well, I've got about a thousand words. That's way late to Kyle for this. <laughs> but the, yeah, no, this is it's uh, it's a combination of new technology, patents, expensive to set up. But all of that was true for LEDs for a long time too, uh, and eventually mm-hmm. the aftermarket catches up. So there's you know you have your traditional you know, technology adoption curve, and as we're at the beginning of it, it is it is monopolized. Really, it's only Samsung and LG that can do it. It, it may be harder for uh, third parties and refurbishers to get secondhand uh, parts out of OLED displays, again, because of not only the repairability, but like as has been an issue, uh, burn-in, which affects any device that, you know, any OLED device that's been around for a while, it's harder to rescue those without some kind of burn-in showing. And then also just 
the Asian market dynamics, which uh, are the way it's looking right now, is that uh, companies in Japan and China are ramping up their OLED production um, facilities, and so Samsung may or may not be the uh, you know kind of king of the market for who knows how much longer. So hopefully, you know, we'll see more OLED options for people repairing and stuff. But uh, right now, they're they're pretty much the the market mover. Which is, uh, I mean, it, it's interesting if you if you go into a repair shop and you want to get your S nine fixed compared to an iPhone eight, uh, pretty much the, the the prices for parts are so expensive that, that the repair shops just aren't doing it. Uh, yeah, an uh, iPhone eight is about like seventy bucks if you walk in right now to a un, unnamed chain uh, repair shop and say <laughs> like hey, I need this uh, versus that same shop is two hundred and seventy dollars for an S ten or uh, an iPhone. Oh, an Apple charges about. 280 290 for an iphone x i think mm. which has the which also has a samsung mm. oled display in it and and w- iphone 10 what, what we're sorry. hearing yeah what we're hearing is that samsung just uh like they're really enjoying the fat margins on the parts <laughs> and and so they're they're just consistently keeping propping the, the prices up higher which which i think leads us into some of the right to repair discussion is like if, if they are the monopoly on the parts are they to what extent are they gouging uh people and and is that enforceable potentially well i mean uh i i guess i could imagine a world where it is but it's also that's a difficult world to imagine because we're, we're talking about uh cooperating on that enforcement across you know multiple countries right um and i mean i i i have no idea how i would even begin to fight that fight with samsung well they lost on the dram fight back in the day so oh, it's happened fair. yeah, <laughs> yeah. um Dieter, can I ask you a question and, and perhaps shift this to, uh, let's say, something nice territory? Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so the, I would say the, you know, the kicker or the nut graph of your uh, actual review, um, The Verge has many, many pieces about the, the Galaxy Fold, as much they have to. Uh, but your actual review, the, the canonical review, says, right before it jumps into the details, I've mm-hmm. never used a device with this many problems that I have liked this much. Yep. Uh, please expound. Um. When Samsung, actually, uh, released the very first uh, Note, everyone just laughed and laughed and laughed at it. And then it became a smash hit success because people just wanted a bigger screen. Um, And I caught myself in that category of initial doubters. Um, Having a little miniature tablet, like a 7-inch tablet, uh, with you at all times is great. Uh, Having that larger screen gives you uh, affordances and abilities and just an overall feel of using a thing that is uh, superior to a phone in like 15 different ways. Um, and just as, like, if you just consider the thing as a little Android tablet, if they had just made this thing with a, and it didn't fold in half and they, you know, I don't know, maybe make it a little bit thinner or whatever, I would have seriously considered buying it. I, I mean, as long as they kept the price like under $500 uh, because it's really convenient and it's you know it the it you look at the ipad mini and it the people adore that device they deeply love it um and of course it's more capable than android on a small device anyway um but there's a reason that people enjoy that screen size and that sort of experience is because it, it really does fit in a particular corner of your life that a phone doesn't or a larger tablet doesn't um the other reason i really liked it and this is a little bit harder for me to pin down is it because it's so awkward it has like the little phone experience which you don't want to use and then it has the large tablet experience which you want to use but you don't want to use everywhere and that sort of middle zone where you're in line at the grocery store or on the subway or even like walking down the street when you know you shouldn't be using your phone where it's really easy to just pull your phone out and do something this actually discourages that because the little screen is not enjoyable and the big screen is a little bit too big and awkward to use in those situations. And so um, even though I use this thing a ton, um, I used it in a way differently than I use a phone. I, you know, on my phone, it's, you know, me pulling out and checking Twitter all the time. This thing, I'd like use it in meetings instead of my laptop. Um, so it, I, I felt better about this as a gadget in my life than I expected to. And in, in some ways I like it better than having a phone. And maybe that's one of the great problems with tablets, even an iPad mini. You like it, but if you want to take it with you, you kind of need a bag for it. Yeah. So right. The fact that this fits into your pocket, a tablet that fits into your pocket, maybe that's the... I mean, that's the dream. Um, one of the things that I wish that they had done, and I, we could actually talk about this a little bit, because um, you confirmed something for me in your teardown, 
is if you look at it, it it folds out like a book, right? And it, when it's folded, it's very tall and skinny. And that means the screen on the front is very tall and skinny. Well, in my head, what I would like them to do is have it um, fold out the other way. So when it folds, it's a little bit wider. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it unfolds basically the same size. So basically switch it from portrait to landscape in the way that it unfolds. But my hunch is they probably tried that and they probably didn't think it worked because they probably couldn't get the screen controller in the right place because the the screen controller on this thing is on the right-hand side. And so it has to, you know, refresh the screen across, you know, the, the short side of the seven inches. Mm -hmm. If it had to refresh the screen across the long side of the seven inches, it might have been a bigger problem. That's interesting. I think also from a from a rugged durability perspective, I really do think durability was in their thought process from the beginning with this. I think that yeah. they yeah. just didn't think about this failure mode and the, the over-designed hinge and the floating metal back panel that the screen is mounted on uh, and, and the way that the, the screen, like when you open it, the geared system makes sure that it opens synchronously in both directions. Uh, all that is designed to mitigate stress on the screen and I think they were probably able to get a, uh, I mean, right, there's just... With with the the hinge area being longer, they they were able to provide more support on the screen than if it oh, was right. levered out more. Yeah, right. that makes sense. That makes sense with wider wings. Yeah. So why do you all think that they didn't uh, try harder to seal this thing up against debris and dust? So it doesn't have an IP rating explicitly, but there are just a bunch of like gaps right next to moving parts, which to me seems like a recipe for disaster, and I think it turned out to be. <laughs> I kind of just feel like it was a losing battle and they admitted that right from the get-go. I uh, Just thinking about how I would add IP resistance to this device, it feels like a nightmare. And so I can only imagine like being at the drawing board trying to figure out how to build the hinge and what to back the screen with and then also adding to that conversation how to make it ingress resistant. Like I, It just seems like it would have been really difficult and I'm not saying that it's like that that is a fair thing for them to omit but I can just imagine it being so daunting that they decided to not even try for V1 yeah. I just imagine like a, a Ziploc bag type piece of plastic that's just lining the entire inside of the phone <laughs> and every time you fold it you just hear this like paper you know bag yeah. of chips crinkling <laughs> sound and you're like well at least it's waterproof yeah I tend to want to give these designers a, a fair amount of, of credit because yeah. I mean, they spend so many years work. I mean, there's so many people with so much intent and effort for years working on this uh, that I, I don't think you can simply say, oh, they didn't think about it. They, they have to have considered it mm -hmm. and uh, deprioritized it for some reason. Um, so the I guess I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing you now, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, my last question is: They have said they're gonna, they're they're still gonna release it. It's just a delay. It's not a cancellation. Uh, there was a quote that they gave that, to me, indicated that they might like actually tweak the design of this thing in some way. Um, I have to imagine there's tens or you know, I don't know, maybe a hundred thousand of these things that came off a factory line that they're gonna want to try and retrofit in some way, um, but maybe not. If they go back to the drawing board, that's like a year, right? Yeah. At least. So, what could they possibly do to this thing to better? protect the screen what do you think taylor what would you do and, and i mean as you think about this like the amount of money involved let's say let's say it was fifty thousand of these and yeah. uh yeah you know, we're talking about on the order of yeah i mean depending on what their their margins are right 70 to 100 million dollars sitting there in a warehouse waiting right. to get out there right can they can they add more I'm, I'm going to use the word wrong. Are, can they just, like, bolster the substrate underneath the OLED panel? Just, like, create a super, like, thick, durable, like, none clay shall ruin this display. <laughs> like, like you know, can they can they build the north wall inside this thing between the OLED and the back? So it's like, go ahead, dirt, do your worst. I think that that would be too much work. Like, I, I think that that would require... A redesign. Yeah, a redesign that would take a year or more, you know? Yeah. Okay. I think more realistic. You can't just like pull the panels off, modify them, and sync them back in. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not necessarily an expert in that field, but I, I don't think you could. But I mean, some kind of uh, baffling or gasketing around the edge. Yeah, I think I think what we will definitely see is a change to maybe that top layer of the display, and what I'm hoping to see is 
So right now, the bezel of the main screen that I mentioned comes off fairly easily. Um, that comes off in two pieces. And I think what they could do is take those off because that, I mean, is super easy. They could do that very easily. Take those off yeah. and then try and make that into one piece and have it connected by some, I don't know, rubber gasket that would stretchy material yeah that would fold but also cover that gap on the display side and yeah. i don't i don't think that would save everything but i do think it would be enough for them to come back and say look we tried to do something it's still fragile but buy it please <laughs> dieter if you get one back in on june mid-june whenever they actually uh, deliver it uh, you know um, what will you be looking for when you get it back? Bag of Doritos. Uh, well, I hope hopefully I'll get permission for the bag of Doritos test. Sure. Um, good. I mean, here's the thing: like, I, I I'm not going to set out to break the thing, right? I didn't set out to break the first one. Um, so it's uh, unless I go out and buy my own, for me to like go at it with like real durability testing is difficult. Um, and we might decide we want to spend the money to do that. Um, but if if nothing else, I'll be looking for just from my untrained eye, do I think they did enough to protect ingress on this thing? And hopefully also I'll spend quite a bit of time with it to just see if, uh, if anything happens. I think that's reasonable. I think uh, we will be watching uh, the verge carefully and, and I think everybody should be, should be probably following you on Twitter to see kind of the ongoing drama with, uh, with uh, Samsung. Is there anything you want to promote? I know you, you got a, you got to run, but is there anything you're working on you want to let everybody know about? Uh, uh, I think the main thing is keep an eye on The Verge for an announcement about The Vergecast uh, related to Google I.O. Fantastic. Tiny little little teaser. teaser. We're excited about Google I.O. we got something going on for that, too. So stay tuned. Oh, cool. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I, I know you've got something right. to get to, so thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dita. Yeah, it was really fun. I hope do it again okay, soon. awesome. What a fascinating device and what a fascinating journey to Absolutely. go. I mean, it was, you know, this is like 60 miles an hour to a screeching halt. I have never seen a product launch killed by the product reviewers, yeah. right? This is like a video game coming out and they see it to the initial reviewers and, the, and then they're like, oh shit, we made a bad game. <laughs> <laughs> we need to go back and we're just going to delay the launch. We're going to retool things and we'll launch the game in six months. Not even they made a bad well, game, but the reviewers like can't make it past the first level without... The game breaking. Yeah, even even Bethesda sticks to their games and says like, "Listen, this is Fallout seventy six, guys. <laughs> like, you enjoy West Virginia, like we designed it." The, um, can I ask you guys, as the new guy here, a question mm -hmm. about our own teardown? Um, you know, uh, so I, I guess when I read it, and I, I was w left wondering because uh, the score of the fold, which we haven't mentioned, yet, is like a two out of ten, mm -hmm. I, or maybe we mentioned that. I don't know. You know. We're, we're here saying this thing is going to be a nightmare to repair yourself, repair tax anybody. Um, but I, I'm not sure where we landed on like the, the hinge because on the one hand, we have spent a lot of time ex extolling the virtues of this amazing hinge. And it does seem super cool and like a feat of engineering that like outdoes a lot of bikes I've torn, torn apart. <laughs> um, like internal geared hubs are not this complicated. But at the same time, it sounded like our, our teardown and our institutional voices saying like, moving parts equals potential problems. Like even such a well-designed hinge is a potential problem for any human being who's not a robot who's going to fold this thing. But laptop hinges work so well. Yeah, true. <laughs> but laptop hinges are not generally wait, no, uh, wait, uh, designed. Some of them do. Some of, yeah, some of them do. Some of them do. So what, I mean, what, you know, what do you think this is possible? Did, did, if, we, if we say, you know, Samsung goes away for a year or two and they, and they redesign this, do you think we can they have another crack at this and, and this is all solvable uh to be honest i'm glad you brought up the score kevin um we are constantly walking a tightrope of talking about straight up repairability as in like how easy is it to replace the display and how likely is it that you will need to replace the display and those are arguably two different things but we try and bring both of them into our repairability right. score as often as possible because they're both kind of relevant. So this this particular device... Wait, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, if you have to constantly replace something that is also slightly annoying to replace... Exactly. Like, right. You're also more likely to damage it by all the times you have to... Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So 
this particular device is, I wouldn't say significantly, but is noticeably easier to replace certain things on than, for example, the S10, which just barely came out. Um, and the S10 got a 3. So this is a lower scored device than the S10. And there, there are just so many ways that you can come at this conversation. But at the end of the day, we're just trying to like convey to the reader and the industry what we think about the device's construction, I guess. It's a very fragile device. It's yeah. very easy to break. And it's going to be really hard to fix. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line of the score. And and so as a result, and I mean as is usual and has been the case for Samsung devices for a long time, we don't recommend people buy them. Yeah. Uh, our, I would say on a repairability uh, score, if it scores lower than a five, don't anticipate that it's going to be straightforward to fix. Expect it's going to be expensive and, and buyer beware. Yeah. Yeah, and, and as we said, we, we have no idea what the prices are going to be yet on a replacement screen for this thing. Yeah. The thing that seems most likely to break and it's probably not going to be but cheap But yeah, given that... You know, those S10 displays are already $200, and this is twice the size and also much more complex. Right. Uh, yeah, a, a replacement screen that's less than $600 for something like this would be surprising to see, yeah. and, and maybe more. And then and then, could you even install it without breaking the new screen mm-hmm. in the process without specialized <laughs> machinery? It would, be, it would be challenging. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand the compelling you know, the idea that we would want a tablet in our pocket, but... Uh, we're we're certainly a long way away from the Star Wars flexi that you just folded up and put it in your pocket. Yeah. And it's durable. Yeah, the the I mean, it's hard to make a gorgeous screen that's flexible, and and there's so much circuitry in there. That circuitry is very fragile, and you make it so thin to make it flexible. And and here we are. Well, that was your Galaxy Fold uh, discussion. <laughs> this is, I mean, we could talk about this thing it, it, uh, for a long time because it's just one of the more interesting stories in tech. But Definitely. some of the other th- uh, things that are happening, there's a whole lot of right to repair uh, news happening. And I want to loop everybody in. Uh, and, and Kevin has been diving in. We have uh, the Federal Trade Commission has announced an inquiry into obstacles to repair. They're really curious to see what's going on. Kevin, how's right. your investigation right. of that going? Good. Uh, we've been writing a lot of stuff on uh, the iFixit blog uh, about everything that basically we took everything that the FTC is looking to get uh, from consumers, repair shops, anybody, and they ask a number of pointed questions about you know how does this affect this and how you know how are people affected and we are trying our best to kind of actually address a lot of those points at the blog. So uh, we've been writing about things like the biggest uh, obstacles to repair. Um, things that uh, companies do to block uh, either independent people or, or individuals for independent shops or individuals from repairing. And uh, as alluded to, I am working on another post uh, about uh, Samsung in particular and the pricing of, uh, say, their repair screens. So uh, we're trying to answer as many questions as we can, and we actually will be submitting those to the FTC, um, you know, along with what we hope is some uh, data and other stories from other people. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, the it, along with the FTC hearing, which the deadline is Tuesday, I believe. It's Tuesday, yeah. So they are open to the public. They want they want your input. So if you can share your experience with a repair obstacle, they definitely want to hear it. They have a series of questions that they've posted on their website. You can Google for nixing the fix, and it will pull up the uh, the FTC. Uh, site and yes. then and then they've got very Googleable. <laughs> it's a, and then they they have a, a reasonably convenient form. So unlike the copyright office where they made the form as complicated as possible to fill out, this is a pretty reasonable. And and they say you know was this published? But but really, I mean, you can just you can just paste in and and uh, you know paste in your your note. Tell them your story. I think I think they want to hear your repair stories. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, I've I've tried to keep myself from going down too many rabbit holes about uh, various kinds of repairs and uh, markets and things like that. But uh, in the meantime, the FTC, uh, you know, the deadline is Tuesday for that hearing that's in July, I think, June. Um, And in the meantime, though, uh, in various states around the country, uh, there are things afoot, uh, bills moving and or being discussed, and Kyle is just back from Salem, Oregon, I believe. Yeah, we had a hearing in Salem uh, last week, which was uh, not last this week. I was there on Monday. <laughs> it was... It's a... It's a- 
fast it's a fast moving week. week. Yeah. So uh, this was cool. This is Oregon is a little bit interesting. They uh, they declined to move the bill forward this year. So we knew going into the hearing that, that we didn't have a chance at a vote on on right to repair. But it was an informational hearing where the legislators wanted to ask about it. And uh, we had a fantastic coalition of people show up. We uh, we had folks from uh, the or uh, OSPERG, which is the public interest research group where they were working on on you know, protecting consumer interests. Oregon has the uh, Con- Citizens Utility Board or uh, Oregon Cub, which is a group are, are you know fighting on behalf of citizens and making sure people have access to the internet in rural areas. They were very active, and then and then we also had just this coalition of of local nonprofits and repair businesses show, show up. So uh, if you've never heard of Free Geek, they're absolutely amazing. We should have them on as a guest on the show sometime. Free Geek is an open source collective in Portland where uh, they, they recycle e-waste, uh, but then they, they reuse and repair as much as they can, and then they make technology available to disadvantaged folks. And one of the things I love about Free Geek is if you want to learn about technology, you can go and volunteer. They'll train you how to build PCs, and then if you volunteer for 20 hours, the last PC that you build, you get to take home for free in exchange for volunteering. That's way cool. It's super cool. Yeah. So they're bridging the digital divide more effectively than uh, I would say just about any other organization that I know. Uh, yeah, and uh, having humans at the end of the chain instead of a robot, we're big fans of. Yeah. Right. It turns out humans can you know add intelligence. I mean, they they do a lot of you know you've got some older Windows uh, PC that Windows isn't running fast on anymore. Throw Ubuntu on it; it'll run fast. Or Chrome, or some version of or Chrome, Chrome OS, OS or anything. Absolutely. Really, yeah. And they teach they teach classes. So if you're in the Oregon, Portland area, I highly recommend you swing in to, to buy Free Geek. They have a, a thrift store where you can go and buy uh, electronics, and you will not get a better deal on, on older Macs or, or accessories. <laughs> While I was in there, I, I bought some extra AC adapters for the office. <laughs> <laughs> they're valuable. They are, they are worth their weight. Absolutely. Um, and then also uh, things are shaking in Sacramento. Yes. Uh, yeah, so uh, California is next up. So as we're working through, we got 21 states that have introduced right to repair uh, this year. Uh, California is next up. So we have a hearing in Sacramento on April 30th at 1.30 p.m. in the uh, Consumer and Privacy uh, Protection Committee. Uh, so if you're in the Sacramento area, please swing by. You're welcome to join us. I'll be there uh, along with uh, our California coalition, which includes, I think, Consumer Reports will be there, which will be super cool. Mm-hmm. The Electronic Frontier Foundation is sending someone. And I would uh, – I mean this is a, a opportunity. So if you're listening and you're in, in California, please go to california.repair.org and write your legislators right now. We have a possibility of getting a floor vote on right to repair, but Apple – and the appliance manufacturers and everybody else is fighting us really hard. So this is the time. If there was ever a time to call your, your rep in California, this is the time before before the hearing on Tuesday. Yeah, and then um, I believe uh, things are – then uh, you know, midway through the country just – you know, gaining so, so many miles for you this this month, uh, Minnesota. Right? Minnesota also is is looking. Uh, we've made it out of two committees in Minnesota this year, which is the farthest we've ever gotten. And it looks like we're going to have a floor vote uh, in uh, in the capital of Minnesota uh, this month, uh, maybe next week, which will be be super exciting. So same thing goes for Minnesota. Minnesota.repair.org. Uh, if you ha- know anyone in Minnesota, you got any Minnesotan family members? Now's the time to speak up. Uh, and and you know we'll have this this you know. As the wave of right to repair moves across the country, there will be other other states. But we have a really good shot in both California and Minnesota right now. That's great. It's also a great time to, uh, as I've learned from following it, it's also a great time to learn more about state legislation and how it happens. Yeah, and it, you know, calling um, your rep, you can learn a lot from this. Right, it's really not that complicated. They want to hear from you. So have you have you called your rep yet, Taylor? I certainly have. <laughs> But, I mean, they're, they're friendly. Usually there's a staffer they pick up. They say, hey, what are you calling about? You say, you know, I'm interested in supporting the right to repair bill. They may ask you uh, uh, what what the bill numbers are. And um, that th- then they, they just have a sheet and they, they just keep tallies. And you know, you're welcome to email them, but a phone call is probably worth 10 emails. Um, and, and, I mean, that's, this is their job. The politicians are there to listen to and respond to their constituents. And clearly this is something that impacts people's lives. Uh, so you have an opportunity to engage in democracy. It is not as corrupt what as your, you think. 
What if you're in one of the states that hasn't been mentioned uh, recently, like uh, New York? New York. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we will – There, you know, it's interesting how the legislative calendar is different for different states. So New York absolutely has a right to repair a bill. It's going to happen. This is going to be later this year. Same thing for Massachusetts and a number of other states. But that doesn't mean you can't reach out to your rep right right now and talk to them. So mm-hmm. we have set up all 50 states. You can go to yourstate.repair.org, so newyork.repair.org or massachusetts.repair.org, and we have a handy form. You don't even have to know who your state reps are, who your senator or rep is. You just write a little letter, and then we figure it out for you and send it to them. So just because you don't have an inkling that something is like currently uh, about to hit the floor, you can you can make waves and contact your representatives in your own yeah, state. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, a, a few calls make a difference. If we could get you, know, you take New York, if we could get ten phone calls to every state senator in New York, that would move the needle. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't there's take a lot. A lot. Them, though. No, there's there's a hundred, right? It's so it's it's totally doable. Gotcha. Uh, so that that's the the right repair news. It's been a lot of of kind of groundwork to get to this point, but but to have kind of really compelling shots in one week at Oregon and uh, Minnesota and California is is really phenomenal. Uh, and everybody that's that's been involved behind the scenes has just been working like mad to prepare for these things. So if we could get some help from the community and get get some kind of last minute groundswell uh, support, that will amplify our message when we're in the Capitol testifying. All right. What else? What's coming up next on the teardown docket? Do we have anything? Jeez. I mean, it, it feels like this is a little bit of a lull after the Galaxy Fold. Yeah, the Galaxy Fold was so huge. Um, honestly, the next thing that I am most excited about is uh, Huawei's folding phone, the Mate X. Um, yeah. I have so many questions about that. <laughs> I am most curious about... And, and, Go ahead, Kevin. I was going to say, for those who are listening and maybe don't have a chance to look it up, it literally folds the opposite mentality of the Galaxy yes. Fold. Instead of folding in to a closed device that then has metal on the outside, it folds the way that you shouldn't fold a book <laughs> back around, right. and then there's screens on the outside on both sides. So you just imagine how fragile is that screen going to be? Like, mm-hmm. if you have it in your pocket with keys, will the keys kill it? Oh, my God. Yeah. Who knows? So I can see why you're excited about getting that that. It seems like that, maybe that it should have some, in. like, hard shell, like, like cam- uh, eyeglasses case that slides into yeah. And then you would never want to put in your pocket unless it was in the hard case. Yes. We've all been waiting for that 19-pound phone <laughs> with a clear acrylic display case that we carry around with us. There are just so Exciting. many variables that, I mean, I'm hoping that it won't just be a carbon copy of Samsung's phone just reversed, you know. But the having the display fold the opposite way, like you mentioned, is much more makes it more vulnerable to things in your pocket or, I mean... How do you even set a phone like that down without scratching the screen in some way? But I'm hoping that they can use that opposite fold mechanic to back the screen up in a better way. Like because there's a bigger radius on the curve of the screen, they have more room to back it with something solid instead of Samsung had to leave like a whole gap between the metal panels, you know? I feel like mm-hmm. Huawei right now is like everybody else during the Note 9 debacle where they're like, oh, shit, we better ingress, protect this thing, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I know after, after the Note 9 battery thing, every major manufacturer went back and retooled their battery safety. Yeah. Like, we have to make oh, sure this the, never happens again. Here's the Note yeah, 7. Oh, sorry, Note 7. Yes. Yes. I'm reminded every time I got on an airplane. It was, it was the Note 7, yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, yeah Samsung is, is sort of bearing the brunt of forward progress for everybody else. And that's a bit of a result of their philosophy, right? They always yeah, wanna... yeah, they want to be first. And I think that's pretty cool about Samsung. And I hope that they take that, like, with, like they take all of this salt that everybody's giving them with a grain of salt, like, with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. you imagine, I mean, Huawei's got to be, you know, just really getting ready. You know, who's, who's making out like a bandit with all this is Apple, who's just sitting oh, on yeah. the sideline laughing at everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for everyone else to figure it out. Yes. Apple, who has to pay Samsung $110 for every right. iPhone. Tens but imagine, what was everybody talking about before the Galaxy Fold came out? We were all talking about MacBook keyboards, mm-hmm. right? And all of a sudden, nobody's talking about MacBook keyboards anymore. Everybody's talking about the Galaxy I Fold. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Your belief, your belief is that human beings as a species can only hold one company in contempt at a <laughs> I time. I think that's like, it. There's one, there's one memory slot for one like, who do I failure. currently dislike. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a reasonable theory. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is an entertaining, entertaining world. We always say, may you live in interesting times. Well, here we are with, with gadgets that fail before you get them. 
Did you see yeah. that Apple is, they changed their keyboard repair policy, so they, they are now, they pushed out a new policy so that all keyboard repairs are done in the store, rather in than store, sending right. them out to their repair facility. Uh, which... And they said one to three hours, I think, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, well, the yeah. thing is, you're swapping the entire upper case of the computer, so yeah. it's not, I mean, it, it, the repair doesn't fundamentally take that long. You just mm-hmm. end up with, I mean, you're swapping out a third of the computer. I mean, you got to take the, the main board out. So yeah. I, I would say, I mean, how long do you think for it, for a skilled technician who's done it before to do that swap? I, th- I think you can do it in an hour. Like, yeah. it, Apple has everything set up so neatly, you know. I'm sure that they have a place for every single part in for their repair technicians, so I'm sure they can right. do it quickly. But that's an hour complicated repair that you have to take the time to do right, mm-hmm. while the Apple stores are already completely backlogged with yes. iPhone batteries and everything else. And that's the impre- yeah. I mean, th- that's why they were sending them out to depots before is because Apple just doesn't have enough staff to do all these repairs. So yes, they're doing it, and if you can get a, a um, if you yeah, can get an appointment, get great. Um, but then you get you know they're putting the exact same keyboard back on. So if you had the pro- like, there's no that's reason the that the part. new keyboards aren't are, are going to be any better. They'll they'll fail again in six months. Uh, yeah, yeah, if you, if you're going to insist on getting one of these these new MacBooks, you kind of have to buy Apple Care. Mm-hmm. As much as sure. I would, I would like you to buy parts from my fix it. Uh, Apple Care is going to be the better deal, and, and as long you know, Apple seems to be losing money on on all of these machines that get that get repaired at least once or twice, because because of the, the the design, right? The keyboard is integrated into the upper case, and the trackpad and the battery is attached. So it's not just swapping out the keyboard; it's swapping out a very expensive, substantial component. Yeah, for sure. And they're not going back on these switches for these. Uh, keys. They just they they can't now. They it's like they can't go backwards. They can't put headphone jacks back in. They can't you know they can't change their mind about how keyboards work. I they clearly need to. Clearly I, need I think to. I, I think they they, they have to know. But the the lead time. I mean, let's say that they decided January first that they're going to finally redesign the keyboard. It's going to take a year and a half to two years for that to hit the market. So mm-hmm. this is yeah. it's 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 very I mean I I think we tend to like you know we're moving at the pace of the internet and things are so fast but hardware design cycles take years yeah uh, and if if they had not I mean now the argument is they've had years to fix the MacBook keyboard I think they just had their their head stuck in the sand and said they were going to stick with the same design. Well, so the other news, uh, I mean, this is just like, we're, we're, we're moving back through, through the last few days. The, the major news is it was Earth Day on, oh, yeah. on the 22nd. <laughs> and leading up to it Earth was? Day, Apple issued their, their annual environmental report, uh, mm-hmm. which ha- actually had some things that were interesting in there. Yes. Um, I'm, I can't believe that was only Thursday. <laughs> that was, uh, but, yeah. So um, in the run up to Earth Day, I guess it was thursday i think that they put out their announcement or maybe a little earlier than that last week um apple announced uh, essentially like um the the headline news that they would like you to pay attention to is that they've expanded the recycling program is how they put it uh that means that uh you know the things they said were that you can now drop off your iphone at best buy and select places in the netherlands and that will seemingly uh send your uh iphone if it you know toward uh, the recycling robot daisy which uh, they seem to have now have two of them, at least one in the Netherlands, one here. Maybe a third is on the way. Um, just to hit all the headlines real quick before you circle back, um, they also announced, which we're big proponents of, and you can read the post about it on our blog, um, were, uh, that they're going to make steps toward recycling all the cobalt that's in their lithium-ion batteries um, back into the supply chain. So essentially creating what they say is a closed loop, uh, not audited, but be nice to see that actually but uh basically in a closed loop of cobalt uh reducing the need to mine more cobalt out of the earth and you can read our posts you can look up the washington post it's really astounding reporting on how cobalt is mined. right cobalt and- most of the world's cobalt comes from the democratic republic of congo and a lot of it is mined in, in really kind of horrific informal conditions where people are literally digging holes in the ground and then uh, I mean, with it, without safety procedures, without equipment, the Washington Post expose, a kind of investigative piece, was just devastating to see the human costs that our that our gadgets are inflicting. Yeah, yeah, and the and you know, companies can say, oh, you know, we've audited our supply chain, and we're sure that none of this is coming from kids or from artisanal mines, was how they phrase those, um, you know, holes in the ground, and it's very hard to track it all because of the Byzantine ways that the supply gets out through these holding companies and international brokers and stuff like that. So 
uh, anything, uh, as Kyle, I think, was quoted saying, anything to reduce the amount of cobalt being mined is a good move. So, you know, that's good to hear. Now, um, now to be clear, Apple it, by no means is saying that all iPhones or all products that they're using have recycled cobalt. What they're saying is that the very small fraction of their products that they get back, the batteries they get out of those, they are sending to a smelter who is then recovering the cobalt, and they're buying that cobalt from them. So some very, very yes. tiny fraction of the, of the cobalt going into these devices is is a closed loop uh, uh, which is you know not substantially meaningful right now, but over time, if they could expand it, maybe it will be. Yes, if they can get more of their iPhones, well, no, kind of. Um, <laughs> just before I forget it, the other thing they announced is that they're opening a recycling laboratory, essentially, and every... Uh, every recycling person we talked to for this story, quoted or not, said like, yep, that's a laboratory. It's a small, I mean, 9,000 square feet is a huge home for us, but it's a very small recycling facility uh, where they're going to work on things involving e-waste and things like that. And they, they say that they'll share any findings from that lab, uh, which will have their engineers present, uh, back to the larger recycling committee, which is good. Anything they can do to help figure out ways to extract more usable things out of electronics. Yeah, you know, th- but- this really feels like a response to our criticism of Daisy, where I call Daisy, you know, Daisy the death bot, uh, where Daisy is this very complicated, expensive, multi-million dollar machine that is designed just to take one thing apart, which is which is fine in Apple's sort of, you know, closed system, but it doesn't help what the, the world of electronics recycling, everybody that already has industrial processes that are operating at scale, that are recycling thousands of different kinds of product every day, the Daisy approaches isn't, isn't viable so it seems like this is apple saying okay maybe you were right we're going to see if we can start a lab and start some experimentation see if we can come up with some some processes that would improve how recycling is actually done and and share some of those best practices with the community yes but at the same time they are still all in on daisy it sure yeah. seems like it. yeah so, so they are buying more of them they are there they say they, they expanded it they said that it can now hold it can now handle 20 models of phones 15. which they weren't 15, I'm yeah. sorry, yeah. They didn't specify which model. I that get means. the impression so that that's the, the 32 gig and the 64 gig and the 128. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, 15 doesn't go as far when you realize the number of. Uh, the white phone, the black phone, the pink. You very mm-hmm. quickly get Ugh. to 15. Yeah. Yeah, rose gold. Right. What a monster. Daisy still um, cannot, cannot do an iMac or uh, an iPhone 4 or an iPad. Uh, I think which is your larger point, which is like we can't just build factory-sized robots for every device that every manufacturer This is why we have shredders that are general-purpose machines. It's it's historically not been viable to get all all products back to single place. You can understand why manufacturers would say this. They're like, hey, we have this amazing uh, assembly line process that works really well for making these things, and we make 300 million phones a year that way. It works really well. Let's recycle them the same way. Uh, it's just the the real world is messy. Those 300 million phones get distributed around the world and getting them all back into a single location where you have a fancy expensive machine to undo the manufacturing. While it's possible right. to make that machine, uh, it's not possible to get all those phones back. Yeah. And as also stated in the piece and, and argued uh, is that, you know, in terms of recycling, you're so unlikely to just quote unquote recycle your iPhone. Now it's like, it's great that they'll take it back at the Apple store and eventually recycle it or whatnot. But like, the chances that even with your iPhone 5, you can't just get 20, 40, 50 bucks for it uh, and, you know, hand it down the chain. Uh, you know, why would you recycle something that's worth some money? Yeah. I mean, Apple offers a pretty token amount, I believe, in the Apple store if you trade in an old phone. Uh, you can usually get more for it on the secondary market, which is good. Like, that's a net good for everybody. But, um, yeah, so overall, the number of phones that Apple is getting in to recycle with this robot is not substantial. It can't be given the numbers that they're posting up, but it's not a bad thing. Right. It's, 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 it's a very complicated. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we, you know, we you want to root for success. You want it to work. I mean, one of the things that they, they, they talk about the theoretical capacity where Daisy could process 200 phones an hour, but they didn't talk about how many phones that Daisy had actually recycled. Yeah. It sounds like they've collected something like a million phones that are queued up and waiting for Daisy. And so I think at the point that Daisy is, is running and is processing those million phones, that's interesting. Of course, I wonder, yeah. like, okay, if Daisy can process an iPhone 6 and you're going to recycle, like, why would you recycle an iPhone 6? Yeah, at this point, you wouldn't. Like Kevin was saying, you'd be better off selling it on the secondary market. 
I'm looking like yeah, even for parts. Even for parts, yeah, busted. So a, a functional iPhone six is a hundred bucks right now on Swappa. I think a, a non functional, you know, water damage broken screen will probably still go for forty bucks. Yeah. The raw commodity value, uh, we did the math, and the cobalt value inside uh, an iPhone is about twenty three cents. The rest of the commodities might add up to a dollar. She's so saying, "I'm going to take this forty dollar thing and I'm going to shred it and get one dollar value out of it." And it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah, so we you know we wrote about that. Uh, you can read that at the blog. Uh, you can um, see what a nuanced <laughs> like reaction we have to what seems like a good news uh, announcement. But like, I mean, it would be the same for any other company, really. You know, any other company that came out with a robot that recycles one type of phone or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's it's good that Apple has the cash on hand, the resources, the, the expertise to try some new things. And that we're and talking about honestly, it, right? I mean, recycling doesn't get, yeah. doesn't get covered in the mainstream enough. So we're really excited to see, see people talking about it. Yeah, we're going to, really we're engineers. We're going to criticize the approach from an engineering <laughs> perspective, but we're, we're really excited that there are, there are more brains uh, thinking about it. Yeah. Someone who uh, works in, in large scale, uh, you know, uh, e-waste and uh, IT you know, refurbishment said, you know, actually, like, good luck to them. Like, honestly, their lab where they're going to work on recycling problems, like anything they can tell us about, you know, like new processes or things like that, you know, can't be can't be bad. But also, like, you know, nobody should come out with the idea that like the, the industry has just been sitting around waiting for someone in a, in a black turtleneck to tell them how to recycle things. Like, <laughs> it's 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 obviously a, 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 a industry that's been you know, has some R&D behind it, has some movement going right. on. Right, yeah. so. that's it. Well, we're continuing to break uh, more stories. I mean, just this week, I mean, between the Galaxy Fold uh, teardown uh, and uh, which were, you know, uh, I think, I think, you know, congrats to, to the team. Uh, Taylor and friends did a fantastic job. It's just such a fascinating device. And all, all the way over to, you know, the, the progress that's happening on right to repair. And then, and then, you know, Tearing down Apple's analysis, you know, and analyzing Apple's new environmental programs. It's just an exciting time to be in this in this business. So thank you all for, for listening and sticking through us with an hour of fast paced discussion. We will be back in two weeks with more Repair Radio. Sure uh, thanks will. for listening, and and please, you, uh, if you want us to continue doing this, the best thing you can do is is leave us a review on your favorite podcast app store, uh, podcast store, where. And subscribe if you want. Absolutely. Yeah, you or on your, in your podcast catcher of choice. That's it. Thanks for listening. Bye. Happy fixing. <laughs>